You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. And Frank, this is... <laughs> I thought I was going to have to do it. It's, it's, a, no, it's, a, no, I it's a really it's a really poor response time for an emergency pod. Uh the, uh, the, the ambulance showed up a few hours late and the patient is uh, <laughs> hanging on for dear life. But, uh, but yeah, we had, uh, we had a pretty exciting trade deadline. And um, the, the, it turns out the Don Maker trade was only the beginning of, uh, of a much bigger deal, which uh, I think dramatically changes the complexion of, um, of the Bucks trade deadline and potentially also the ceiling of this team, which I, I don't think I was expecting to say. no. I was definitely not expecting to say that. Uh, for those uninitiated, the Milwaukee Bucks have made a three-team deal. Uh, f- so what was once Thonmaker for Stanley Johnson uh, turned into something much larger. The John Horst and the Bucks decided not to make it official uh, yesterday, which, you know, as the day went on, and I think... This morning, as you and I didn't see a, a press release come across, uh, I think both of us started to wonder, huh, is there, is there something more going on here? And there was. So in the end, the Bucks send Thonmaker to Detroit and Jason Smith, along with four future second round draft picks to the Pelicans. And then Detroit also sends Stanley Johnson to New Orleans to complete the trade. So in the end, the Bucks give up Thonmaker, Jason Smith, and four future second round picks to the New Orleans Pelicans. And in return, they receive Nikola Miritich, who is, you know, I think was to me one of the hotter non-superstar names on the market. Uh, Miritich is here, 27 years old, career highs in points, 16.7, and rebounds per game at 8.3. Uh, he's shooting 44% from the field. More importantly, 36.8% from the three-point line. Uh, if you're not familiar with Nikola Miritich, uh, he is also six foot ten and 250 pounds. Uh, so he, he does, he does kind of get after it a little bit. He does have some good size. So, uh, Frank, I guess, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, he, he's a guy that we've talked about maybe a couple times over the past uh, couple weeks uh, in the wake of the Anthony Davis trade rumors or trade request. Certainly not in the wake of the Anthony Davis trade because there was no Anthony Davis trade. But, um, <laughs> you know, we use that as a, an excuse um, to talk a bit about Miritich. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've liked him a lot. I mean, it's funny – Bucks fans might remember him as uh, the guy who haunted the Bucks a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, 
winning uh, winning a couple games for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I guess that was last season, actually, early last season. Um, really kind of sticking it to the Bucks, a couple of games in Milwaukee, and then um, Miritich was was damaging the Bucks tank, the Bulls tank so much that they promptly sent him to the, the uh, Pelicans uh, last year, and he was great for them uh, as a, a midseason addition. Really sort of blunted the effect of losing DeMarcus Cousins, pairing really nicely with Anthony Davis last year, um, was a, a really good player for them in the playoffs against Portland, where they beat the Blazers. Uh, I was just looking at his numbers. He put up 15 and 10 over a block and a steal per game in that series. Um, and I would say just generally a guy who loves to shoot threes from way out. He's a gunner. There's there's a little bit of like Mirza Toledovic from a three point perspective, except he's also like just a much better all around player on both ends really. And um, you know I think just in the grand scheme of you know moves that could be made uh, on on trade deadline, I mean this is probably about as as much as you could see the Bucks upgrade given really not a lot of holes in that in that roster right now. And you know I think his his performance against the Wizards notwithstanding. Ursula clearly the weakest link in this rotation right now. And Miritich, a massive upgrade on, on Ursan, um, a guy that figures to take minutes from potentially DJ Wilson as well, which, you know, again, isn't, I'd say, as, as needed given how well DJ has played, but just gives them a completely different dimension offensively behind Brooke Lopez um, and, and Giannis and can play with. Pretty much any of those guys. I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing about the Bucks right now. The, the at the forward and, and center spot, they've just got a lot of interchangeable pieces given the shooting and mobility that those guys have. Brooke, obviously not mobile, but um, pretty much everybody else can can shoot and and do some things. And um, I think it's just an exciting addition. And again, obviously, um, you know, some of those picks, two of those picks, you know, late late second rounders if they convey at all. Uh, the Wizards' picks; those are those are probably going to be good second round picks. So this was not free, um, but those were picks that the Bucks just basically manufactured from nothing by taking money off of the Wizards' payroll this year using um, cap flexibility to basically steal a couple seconds. And this is why we love those kinds of moves because they enable you to, you know, pick up these little marginal assets on the side. Oh, Washington first rounder, second rounder here. You know, maybe another second rounder there, throw some cash out the door, you know, and lo and behold, now it's trade deadline time and you're adding a player of the caliber of Miritich, who is, you know, a starting caliber power forward. And, you know, again, it's most likely, and this was the biggest reason why I, I didn't really think that it was likely the Bucks would land him. I figured they'd have to give up, you know, somebody would give up a first round pick for him. Um, obviously it didn't happen. Uh, and I think the upside is, you know, again, you, you're not losing a current rotation player. You're upgrading your weakest rotation spot. Um, you're preventing another team in the East from getting Miritich, which, you know, was sort of how I first kind of stumbled upon him because I was paranoid the Sixers might get him. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just think it's a it's a really nice move. And, again, he's expiring salary, which on some level is is good in the sense that, uh, you know, it doesn't lock the Bucks into anything. They still can, um, you know, have flexibility this summer. Bad in the sense that he's actually a really good player. <laughs> Um, and it may be difficult. I would say it's unlikely they retain him, but um, I think there's also some discussion, you know, in, in the event, maybe you lose one of your other, uh, one of your other kind of key free agents, 
maybe he's a guy you do bring back um, just because mm-hmm. you're going to have you're going to have bird rights on him. So, um, so yeah, he's a, a really interesting piece, and I think you know Bucks fans. I think everybody's just generally been very excited. I think the media has generally reacted very favorably to this, and I think justifiably so. It's funny to think back to a year ago, and you know, you think through, you think through the the giving up a second round pick for Tyler Zeller, and it was just like, ugh, did you just give up a second rounder for you know like a fringe rotation guy? Like, is that really what happened? And you know, you think through it, and it's like, you know, maybe that's not the best use of assets. And you know, like as you're thinking through it, it's like, you know, maybe you could convince yourself of that if this team had more serious like contending chances that's the case this year like this is a team that has a a more serious chance to contend and an actual real rotation player not a fringe rotation player as you mentioned a guy that is you know arguably starter quality like he he i think he could start for a lot of teams in the nba so you've really found a way to upgrade a position with someone that I think in many ways fits nearly the exact style of basketball you play. Like, uh, again, there's obvious questions about his defense and um, I, I think he's a competent team defender and I think he's, he probably gets a harder time than maybe he deserves. Um, but still like he's, he's not the, the world's best defender, but he's fine defensively. And then offensively, he, shoots a lot of threes and despite that high volume he hits a lot of them and when you think of trying to when you try to put together a playoff rotation i think you're gonna pencil Giannis in for 41 minutes 42 minutes and you know as you think through that you want to have people on the floor that can space the floor credibly and make it a threat at all times that if Giannis is on the floor you know, you're really going to be in a bind and you're really going to have to choose, okay, are we loading up on Giannis or are we going to take some of these guys off the three-point line? Are we going to run some of these guys off? And Miritich is interesting in the way that we've seen Brooke Lopez be interesting because he doesn't just shoot with his his toes just behind the line. He shoots 30-footers. He, he's he's willing to go out there and you know as you're you're really looking at stretching the limits of gravity on a shooter Miritich is one of those players he is one of those guys that can really bring really bring that opposing big out and that's where all of a sudden I think you have something really interesting especially when you're I mean it, in many ways thinking he's going to replace I don't know if all, but certainly some of Ersan Ilyasova's minutes where a lot of the times Ersan, Ersan has the slower release. He's he's someone that is going to sometimes pump fake and then dribble and then step back. And like that, that isn't, that isn't Miritich. He's going to be behind the line and he's going to be bombing away. And I think, you know, you've really stumbled onto a, a really nice trade here because you, you managed to through, uh, through a lot of moves that no one will ever think back to or circle at the time. I know certainly when some of them happen, it was just like, oh, okay, you know, that's nice. You got a second round pick for 
taking on some money or helping someone out of the the luxury tax, even though it didn't affect your cap in any way. And, you know, we looked through some of those moves and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. Like that's a nice little, nice little bit of work by John Horst. And then, you know, you, you grab a couple of those just little moves and somehow you're able to put them all together because no one will give up a first for Miritich and you put them together and all of a sudden you have a, a, a really solid piece. So, uh, I mean, I, 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 I struggle to think of uh, a really, a really critical viewing of this move. Like I'm trying to think of a way to, you know, really critique it and go hard at it. And I mean, it's tough. It's tough to find something like that. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's injured right now. I know you uh, were doing some homework. Um, he has a strained calf. Um, I think you, uh, Will Guillory, I think told you that he, it's not, not serious. Right. So Hopefully we'll see him sooner rather than later. But yeah, when we talked about it, I was just like, yeah, I, I know obviously he was hurt. And uh, when you look at his game log, he's been out here for a, a good little while. Uh, he's been out since he injured it on the 23rd of January. So, you know, you're approaching just about two weeks on that injury. Uh, he hasn't played during that time, but uh, he was just in Chicago. And I know Casey Johnson had said that it's, day to day. And I think it's getting closer, but when I talked to Will, uh, the beat writer over at the athletic in new Orleans, he seemed to think that it, it wasn't super serious and it's getting a little bit closer, uh, to being ready to go. And I think also there wasn't a real specific timeline given out. And, you know, when, when things get close to the trade deadline and you have assets that you're thinking about trading, Maybe you're a little bit extra cautious and you're you're trying to make sure that your asset uh, doesn't further injure themselves. So um, the Bucks have, since you said, like you said, since it's, this isn't a, a move they made with a rotation player, they don't need to rush him back uh, so they can be cautious about it. But uh, I would agree. I, I think sooner rather than later is is probably, that's the vibe I've gotten with people I've talked to. Yeah, and, and that's been, you know, he's a guy that has had injuries um you know, at various points of his career, um, you know, he, I guess, somewhat famously uh, got his face broken um, by the by Bobby Portis um, last season to start last season. Um, so that was maybe not a, a great start. But, um, you know, otherwise, actually, I mean, looking at his game log, 70, 66, 82, um, the, lot, the season before that. So, I mean, you know, again, hasn't had like, you know, some horrible feet or knee injuries that have, you know, played his career or something like that. Um, and he's uh, just a, a few days from turning 28 years old. So uh, age-wise, you know, he fits kind of squarely in his prime. And, you know, given his skill set, um, he's a guy that obviously, you know, you're, it's not like you're acquiring a guy, like a 33-year-old who, um, you know, you're worried about <laughs> whether he's on his last legs or, or something like that in the playoffs <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's not really much downside. You know, again, I mean, you're you're – basically bringing him in to play a role that he's very much overqualified for. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about yep. the narrative on the bucks. I think, I think maybe the, the media is still kind of catching up a little bit on, on the bucks versatility, uh, especially defensively. Um, you know, I think there's still sort of that, like, Oh, the bucks do their zone drop and Brooke Lopez. And, you know, that may not play in the playoffs and then what are they going to do? And, <laughs> you know, as you mentioned the other day, they, they've actually Giannis lineups have actually been better without Brooke Lopez than with him. Um, I mean, they've, they've been great both ways, uh, plus 10 with Brooke and I think plus almost 15 <laughs> without him. Um, and this just gives them another way to, to you know, space the floor. And certainly with, with Miritich, you know, you can see 
the possibility of uh, running out lineups with with Nico and uh, and Giannis as the two big men. And you know, again, like I don't again, I don't know who, who's going to defend the center spot if that's going to be Miritich or or Giannis, whatever. Um, especially if you're playing smaller lineups, um, you know th- that might be something you can get away with. Especially given, I mean, just the offensive talent that you have at those two spots um, with that lineup is, is just going to be be pretty tremendous. You know, I mean, he, it's it's ironic that the two best floor spacers in terms of just you know gunners who will fire away from 30 feet are six ten and seven feet on this team. <laughs> so um, you know, again, it's it's just something that teams. Uh, look, every every team has guys who shoot threes, right? It's stretch fours are, are not some kind of novelty anymore. But um, he really puts the stretch in stretch four, and uh, and obviously that just gives them a lot of malleability. And and also interesting, I think, he's I think it player. also uh, it honestly kind of goes hand in hand. Like I think if you have a two guard that shoots the ball in that way, two guards are more well suited to defend two guards that shoot a lot of threes. Like, yeah. they, they're used yeah. to it. They're, they're quick enough to do that. Like fours and fives, like and maybe more so fives fours have obviously gotten quite athletic over the years, but still like those, those two positions, you don't want to go all the way out to the three point line. Like you want to be closer to the rim to be able to help out uh, with rim protection. So I do think in some ways those things go hand in hand, but that's also very nice for the bucks that that makes it really difficult for, um, you know, even one of the moves today, like Marcus all, okay, you want to, you want to play against the bucks, Gasol or Miritich is going to be in, and you're going to have to stretch yourself all the way out, out there. And that puts, that puts defenses in, in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. And I, I think uh, the other thing, you know, one thing when we talked about like what, what, you know, we were trying to think like, Oh, what do the bucks need at the trade deadline a couple weeks ago, maybe. And, you know, we talked a little bit about like kind of the idea of having like a bench gunner, like a, and we were thinking of it more in terms of like a wing or like a combo forward who could just come out and, you know, shoot threes and get hot and, and just really pressure the defense. And, you know, we weren't thinking of a guy Miritich's size being that player, um, but he, in a lot of ways, can kind of you know really fill that role. I mean, he's he's just much more of a guy that is going to be able to just come out and, and again, not that he's just like an ISO ball player or something like that. Like he's not Lou Lou Williams or something, um, but he's a guy that you know again can attack a closeout and people have to close out hard on him. So he's going to be able to knock down catch and shoot threes. He's going to be able to attack the basket off closeouts a bit. You know, he he has more skill than just being kind of a straight up. Um, jump shooter, even though he does take most of his shots from three point range. Um, but he's been a, a very, generally very effective two point shooter as well. So 55% this year uh, has been over 50% the last three years or last uh, two years beyond this year as well. Um, so again, he's not a guy that, uh, that is, is going to be uncomfortable attacking a closeout like, you know, an Urson, right? Like Urson yeah. puts the ball on the floor, you're like, eh, what's going on? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think when you, you know, you think about the Bucks and, um, the strength of that bench and the way that they can run kind of bench units and, and mix and match, um, you know, having him be out there, uh, you know, I mean, you think about some of the like bench heavy units that they run. Um, he could be really valuable in those units, right? Like when you only have like say Middleton on the floor with like George Hill and some guys who maybe don't want to shoot as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about how a lot of guys in the box now, they don't, they're looking to shoot open threes. They're not looking to shoot kind of like, you know, <laughs> all the threes. threes. Yeah. Yeah, he'll take them all. Um, so I think it's, it's just exciting, you know. I, I, and again, I think um, you know ultimately this is a move that um, that you make because you're you're looking forward to you know April, May, and and June. Knock on wood. Um, and I think it, again, it's uh, it's just a, a really really exciting thing to see the Bucks make a move like this. And um, you know, I think 
again, it's, it, it, it does not project to be easy to retain him um, this summer. But again, I mean, the, the, these are, this is a different world that we're living in right now as Milwaukee Bucks fans. Like going for it is actually like, makes sense. You, you, are the, you are the best team in the league right now. You've been dominant. The, you know, any metric is going to tell you this is the best team in the league right now. And it's not to say they're going to be favorites over the Warriors. Uh, and I think right now they're not even favorites in the East. I think the Raptors and maybe even the Celtics are our favorites in the East, but Hey, that's fine. You know, if you just go out and continue to be the best team, who cares what the betters do. Right. Yep. Uh, and certainly this move um, is one that I think is, is only going to make you more dangerous uh, in the playoffs. And um, you know, again, like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just still just really pleasant. I mean, you know, kudos to the bucks, uh, John horse, the, you know, the front office for pulling off a move like this. It's uh, um, it's one that I think really says a lot about, uh, not just today, but um, but really about the work that they've done all year to put themselves in a position to do this. You mentioned the idea of going for it, and I, and you know for you know like the first time as a Bucks fan, like you might actually think this makes sense, and you know I think the reason why it makes so much sense is because it has changed. Like going for it isn't trying to make the playoffs, isn't trying to get home court. It is getting out of the Eastern conference and representing the Eastern conference in the finals. Like that is what it is. And I think it, it's such an important distinction that, you know, if you, if you make a go forward kind of move that it is actually obtainable and it is actually an important thing as opposed to, you know, just getting some, just getting two games of home revenue in the playoffs. Like that, that is a huge, huge difference. And, yeah, I think it's just huge. And, you know, I think why it's such a, it was such a pleasant surprise and had so many Bucks fans so excited during the day to day was that, you know, we had talked on our trade deadline preview podcast about the idea of something setting off an arms race in the Eastern Conference or, you know, just the, just the idea that if, a team like the Sixers made a move like they ended up making with Tobias Harris that, okay, all of a sudden maybe the Raptors are going to try to do something as well. Um, you know, the Celtics always had the, the, the specter of Anthony Davis at some point or something. Uh, they ended up being quiet, but you know, like as you go through those two other teams, it's like you knew that there was at least the possibility that they could add something and going into all of this, because of how the the Bucks contract situation is set up, how the the Bucks picks are set up, you knew that they didn't have major assets to make a play and to participate in that arms race. So essentially, they just had to sweat it out and say, "Okay, hopefully no one does anything too great, and hopefully they they don't find a way to get anything because it's going to be hard to catch up." And somehow, just conjured out of seemingly thin air, the Bucks found an asset and found a way uh, to, to make something happen. And I, I just didn't, I personally didn't see that going into all of this. I, I didn't think it was, it was going to be possible. And it, like you said, kudos to the Bucks front office for being able to pull this off. And 
yeah, like you said, the the gamblers. Uh, I think the odds in Vegas still have, I think three East teams in front of the Bucks. But if you know, if you look at like five thirty eight or more predictive models, it's the Bucks and the Raptors. Those two teams kind of staying together and bunched up at the top of the Eastern Conference. And uh, you know, I, I think after this trade deadline, that's that's probably how you should feel. Even with the Raptors making a move, um, the Bucks were able to make one as well. And I think. Both teams strengthened their their rosters and, and might have done so in similar ways. Um, anything else you want to say about Mirtich? What you're thinking about uh, concerns? Anything fit? Anything like that? Or do you want to move on to kind of what else happened in the Eastern Conference and maybe where the Bucks kind of sit at this moment? Um, so I, I was trying to do some numbers. Um, you know, obviously we've been challenged to find. Um, you know, it, it's a tight squeeze to get. Uh, the kind of current four starters back on reasonable deals and kind of keep them not just under the luxury tax, but, you know, part of the challenge is to keep them at a, at a number where um, they can even offer Brooke Lopez, the full mid-level of around 9 million. Um, Cause if they go over the tax, then the amount they can offer Lopez will, will go down um, once they, um, once they're kind of bumping up against the tax apron, which is about, 6 million or so above the luxury tax. So, I mean, that, that in itself is difficult. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, you throw in Miritich, whose number is 12 and a half million right now. Um, I, I don't know exactly what his market will be this summer. I think, you know, again, the suspicion is that the market will have a lot of money floating around and as a stretch four who obviously can, can do a lot of things. Um, you know, he, he's not going to, let's just say this, you're not going to get him on a mid-level deal unless something crazy happens or he gets injured or something like that. So, um, you know, my, I think when we talked previously, I mean, I don't know, my guess was maybe he gets like mid teens or something like that. And, um, that's obviously would be very difficult to, to make work, um, with all the other kind of key guys you have on the roster right now. But, um, it's interesting though, cause I mean, you know, we've talked about could Tony Snell be moved at some point, obviously not not this season, but maybe in the summer, uh, can you do something with Ursan Ilyasova? Um, you know, I mean, heck, if you really needed the room, you could stretch Ursan Ilyasova and shave off, um, about 4.7 million in, uh, in what your, your cap number is this summer going into next year. Obviously you don't want to do that. I think we joked about half joked about that being a possibility when they made that, that signing. Um, but, um, you know, there, there's some ways where they could open up money that, you know, maybe it actually isn't totally crazy that they could um, also keep um, uh, keep Meritage in, in some some universe. Um, but I think the, the the more interesting thing is that um, you know you'd have you would potentially be able to um, bring him back if, let's say, I mean, let's just say for sake of argument, like some team offered Brooke Lopez fifteen million dollars a year, and Brooke said, "Hey, you know what, guys? Sorry, I know you guys can only offer you know nine million mid level." you know, I, I got to look after myself and get paid, right? Couldn't fault Brooke for that. Couldn't fault the box because they just wouldn't be able to match that without creating cap space by getting rid of one of their other key guys. So, you know, maybe there's a universe where that happens and you lose Brooke Lopez. Well, you know, I think the answer then probably is not to go spend a bunch of bit, bunch of money on a center necessarily. You know, I mean, I don't even have even looked at who's, who's even going to be available. Um, but it, it's possible then given that you have, you know, Miritich coming off a contract maybe you keep Miritich, right? And not that he's going to be your starting center, but maybe then you get kind of a token big man on, on the cheap. And, um, you know, he's just maybe a 15, 20 minute per game guy and you just play small a ton, you know, there's, there's all these kind of different angles that, that I think maybe you could take. And again, you know, I think in the context of like Philly, we, you know, talked a lot about 
Tobias Harris maybe being an insurance policy in case they lose Jimmy Butler. Um, and again, it's not like for like exactly, but I think there is also maybe a little bit of that dimension with Miritich if you know he does well here. And and again, let's say a scenario where either Brook Lopez or maybe some other uh, Bucks free agent like Bledsoe, for instance, like leaves. Obviously, Miritich doesn't replace Bledsoe, um, totally different positions, but you know, who knows? Maybe they go for a cheaper replacement and then maybe they're able to keep a guy like Miritich. So again, having good players um, costs money to keep them. That's, you know, first world problem. Um, but it also is an opportunity, especially with a, a guy like him. And, um, you know, again, you just, I guess, play out the season, hope things go really well. And then you confront that, uh, you confront that in the summer. Yeah. Um, we talked about flexibility from a roster perspective. There's also, you know, I think, or from an on the floor roster perspective, I guess, like the, the idea that you can have multiple combinations for lineups and things like that. But, you know, also I think at this deadline, the Bucks added some flexibility as far as what their, their player, the, the, the players on their roster could look like, whether or not we know exactly what those combinations look like on the floor next year. You know, there is different combinations that during the summer, you know, you might be able to, if you have to pick and choose, you can pick and choose a little bit. And if someone's a little bit too expensive, you can go in a different direction. So I think there's, there's really a lot of, a lot of good stuff that came out of it. And uh, flexibility is always a good thing, but also just being good is a good thing. <laughs> and, uh, Miritich helps on both of those fronts. They, they, they are more flexible, uh, both on the floor and I guess on the cap sheet. And uh, they are just good. Miritich is just a good player. Uh, he, he was playing 28 minutes a game in New Orleans in the games that he's played this year. And, you know, he he's going to see those minutes cut down um, in Milwaukee. But like you said, that just makes him overqualified. And uh, you think about guys not having the freshest legs, all those things. Like once you get to the playoffs, all of those, all those things can play a part in, you know, a team not being able to go far enough. And, you know, we talked about uh, with Stanley Johnson, maybe giving some guys some days off. Uh, you know, if, if you're really feeling like Arizona isn't playing well, okay, maybe just give him a week, just give him a week. Like maybe that will, that'll help refresh him a little bit. And in that give week, him, give him two months, give him two months. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling you might go there, um, but you, you, you can do all of those things because you have this type of depth. And uh, as you're trying to keep yourself fresh and get yourself ready for a playoff series, um, I just think it could be really, really big. One other just comment quick there too. I mean, um, I mean, obviously none of us even want to think about the possibility of of Giannis having to miss any time due to injury, but um, you know, talking about Ursan getting a night off, I mean, you know, if, if Giannis is dinged up a little bit or, you know, if the Bucks are getting towards the end of the season and you want to give him, you know, some nights off, give him a, you know, take him, take him off on a back-to-back, something like that. Um, you know, you have, you have a guy that can um, perhaps more so than, than pretty much any other team, you could just pluck this guy off the bench and slot him in as a starting four. And, um, and again, he's not going to be Giannis clearly. Um, but I mean, just, just, yeah, just think about the spacing, right? Yep. Lopez, Miritich, Middleton, um, you know, ironically, uh, Brogdon and uh, Brogdon, who's a 50, 40, 90 guy and Bledsoe are your two worst spacers, uh, in, in that lineup, probably <laughs> because they don't, you know, Bledsoe doesn't shoot that well. And Brogdon has that slow release. So, um, yeah, it just, it, again, it's just so much of playoff basketball comes down to being able to play different ways. And, 
um, again, just having the quality of, of, of Meritich off the bench is, uh, is just a really nice luxury to have. And, um, you know, again, you just hope he gets healthy and you hope he's ready for the playoffs and you hope he, you know, is able to kind of find a rhythm with this team. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, uh, is not going to be, uh, will not shy away from finding those blue squares, uh, on the floor. And, um, you know, most of the time the guys aren't actually shooting from the blue squares, at least not the, the ones outside the corners. Uh, you know, when we talk about the blue squares, mm-hmm. the most happen practice court um meritage those blue squares are pretty far out meritage he'll shoot from those wing those wing blue squares those are pretty far out but he can do it as someone who doesn't get to watch practice but gets to watch the shooting drills after practice i am ecstatic to figure out who meritage's partner is going to be to see if someone can finally take down brooke lopez and tony snow because those two are a juggernaut in those shooting games. And typically, you know, things go to shit when they have to start shooting 30 footers. And Brooke is just like, this is my jam. I'm good. I got this. And now you have Miritich that can actually, you know, go shot for shot in many ways. So uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe Sterling and uh, Nikola can step up and, you know, make something happen here. So uh, we'll see if that ends up being the case. All right, so I guess now kind of moving on to the rest of the Eastern Conference, uh, I think before trade deadline activity started, I think we're to the spot where we both felt comfortable saying the Bucks were the best team in the East. Maybe I'm speaking for you, um, but I believe that's kind of where we were. Uh, from that moment, from all of that happening, obviously uh, you have the Sixers adding Tobias Harris, uh, we don't quite know what's happened on the buyout market yet. I'm sure that'll unfold in the next couple of days. Um, you have the Raptors adding Marcus Saul. Um, I guess I, I'm curious with the Bucks in some ways being able to match by adding Miritich. Do you feel like either of those teams took a, a, a leap over? And maybe it's not even a leap. Maybe it would just be a hop. But in some ways, jumped over the Bucks. Um. I- no, I, I mean, again, I think, I think at this point, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the Bucks are, are kind of holding serve, and and it's up to somebody to, I guess, if I'm going to keep this tennis analogy going, break their serve, right, and um, really kind of play at a a high level for an extended period, which you know we just haven't seen um, anybody do to enough to to you know really come close to the Bucks, right? I mean, they've been extending their lead atop the East uh, over these past couple of weeks, and. Um, I think it's, I think the, like an instructive way to think about all these trades, um, because look, like if you look at it in a vacuum, you know, who, who are the best, the, the best players that were traded, you know, among these East teams. Right. Um, I think you could make a good case that Tobias Harris is the best player just in a vacuum. You can make mm-hmm. a case that Gasol is also a quote unquote better player than, than Miritich. But then you kind of peel back the onion and you say like, okay, well, who's actually going to help their team the most. Right. Who's going to be the most critical guy in potentially kind of helping their team, especially in the playoffs? And, you know, again, I, I think it's important to look at it through the lens of who are they replacing and what did the team give up? And I think with Toronto in particular, it's interesting because Valanchunas hasn't been playing, but he was supposed to come back today. He was really good this season before he got hurt. So yep. even though he hasn't been playing, you know, they would have had him and he gives them a different look, a, a stronger look, you know, against a team like Philly. And so they had a guy like that, right? Like they, they, they had a guy, a, a bigger, stronger guy who could play 
um, and match up with with bigger guys defensively before they even got Gasol. And um, again, Gasol, I'd say probably a better player than than Jonas Valanciunas. But you know, don't sleep on Valanciunas. Like, like I said, he's been really good. Um, but he, he also was, doesn't, is fantastic for them this year. Yeah, he also doesn't stretch the floor like Gasol. I think that's maybe the most important thing. Um, Gasol can kind of stretch the floor, um, but. It's just a little weird because first off, I mean, they lose some depth. I mean, again, like you're swapping Gasol for Valanciunas, so maybe not a huge upgrade in that regard. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, you lose DeLon Wright and, and CJ Miles. Miles hasn't had a great year, but I always have visions of him as a pacer just killing the Bucks. So I'm happy to have him not in Toronto. And DeLon Wright has been an important guy for, for Toronto and, and their bench. So um, Toronto, they gave up some stuff, you know, they gave up only a late second round pick in 2024, most, or not late, but, but a 2024 second. So that doesn't really affect things, but, um, they definitely sacrificed depth to make this move. And it's kind of weird. I mean, it, they've been playing smaller and, you know, the, obviously Ibaka has been starting at center. Um, we've seen Siakam start to dabble at center and it seems like that would be more of their identity. And now you get Gasol and it's like, well, that's, that's kind of a different team now. And again, maybe that is for the best. Again, that does, I think, potentially let them play a little bit different stylistically given his stretching ability and the fact that he's still a big guy, which Valanciunas couldn't do. But it feels like they may have kind of pushed themselves towards playing a style that may not be ideal. And I just assume that Gasol is going to start, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Um, So it's, it's, it's an interesting move. I don't blame them for making this move. I, I totally get it. Um, but I don't think it's like a home run necessarily. And, you know, I think Harris clearly better than Wilson Chandler. I think that's, you know, uh, definitely an easy kind of upgrade to see. Um, they're more more of a concern, obviously, around kind of the long-term assets they gave up, not so much the, the short-term pieces. Um, but by the same token, you know, probably a, just a much more combustible situation because, there's obviously a lot more opportunity that that Harris, not not that Tobias himself steps on toes, but just you know, do you have enough basketball to go around? Is I think a very interesting question in in Philly, given Butler and Embiid have both groused over you know touches and where they're getting the ball, and that's even going to become more acute when you throw a guy like Tobias into the mix. So I I think there's a very good chance that Miritich, despite not being the maybe third best player out of that group, ends up being the one who most positively impacts their team just because again, he's kind of like has the lowest bar to, to, to cross as, as like a bench big. Um, and stylistically, I think he just fits so well with what the bucks are trying to do. And there's no, they're not compromising their identity in the slightest by doing this. I mean, this is just more of what they want to do. So that, that would be the optimist view, I guess. Um, but um, you know, certainly I think like, look, all these teams, I think got better. And I think as you met, as you, you know, have, have harped on a number of times, especially Philly um, with the buyout market, you know, they're the team that could stand to benefit the most there. And, um, you know, uh, I think Wes Matthews sounds like he's heading to Indiana, which I'm happy about. It's very, I don't want him going to Philly. Yes, it's good. It's good for the Bucks. That is good for the Bucks. Yeah. And then, um, I, you know, I, I don't think we know yet where uh, uh, Wayne Ellington is going. Um, Wayne, I think like Houston would, would be a great idea. They shoot a lot of threes. I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, I think if you, if you're trying to think through places, that's a great spot. Detroit also, like Frank mentioned, that that would be a great look for you. Spring well. time in Detroit, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that's what everyone um, says. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's a little bit to be continued. I think until 
uh, until the buyout market deals are done. Um, that's probably, we have to wait a little longer to kind of fully judge it. But um, I mean, the bucks are just loaded right now and they have a little bit of cap room or a little bit of room under the luxury tax um, that, uh, and by the way, at first I was like, oh, they only have nine seconds, like a little under a million left. And I was like, oh, well, I guess they can't really sign anybody without going over the tax. And, you know, why would you go over the tax by like $500,000, you know, since there's millions you'd lose through luxury tax payments. But then locked lock on Buck's friend of the pod, Big Curdy, Kurt Leidinger, was DMing with him and he pointed out, well, isn't it, wouldn't, these, wouldn't a minimum salary be prorated at this point? And he's absolutely right. So there is potentially room for the Bucks to add a guy without going over the tax, at least from the numbers that that I have and that we've seen. Um, but uh, clearly, you know, I don't even know if the Bucks need to. They have this open roster spot, so they could do something. Um, and I imagine a little defense. Yeah, well, I, I imagine they'll add. I, I have to. You have to think if they can if they can add somebody without going over the tax, they'll add somebody. Yeah. Um, but I think the question is, you know, do you get somebody that that is actually you know, matters and maybe more importantly, um, I mean, does that guy even play, right? I mean, that's the, the luxury the Bucks have right now. They've they've really filled out all of their sort of, you know, spots that you'd want to upgrade now with Miritich um, coming in and, you know, Ilyasova now being kind of a guy that you don't really even need to play. Okay, I'm going to try to go quickly here because I, I know that we typically don't get you on Thursday night, so I'm going to try to get you out. Um, I, I think... It's really interesting to me with the Raptors and the Marcus Gasol deal because I have to wonder, can they put their five best players on the floor at the same time? And I'm not 100% sure, partly because I'm not 100% sure who their five best players are, but also I'm just not sure if, if you can put, like Serge Ibaka has been better than he has been in the last few years because Nick Nurse moved him more to center and had him uh, shooting some threes and, and doing some interesting stuff where when he's at power forward, maybe those things don't come through in the same way. Um, and again, Marcus is better than Serge Ibaka. Uh, I'm not trying to say that he's not. It's, it's just trying to figure out the calculus of how all of this works. And, you know, Marcus all likes to operate from the elbows. Is that, conducive with Kawhi Leonard and his wing isolation play? Is that conducive uh, with Kyle Lowry and how he wants to play? Like do all of those things kind of fit together? And I mean, like you said, I think some of the times that the, the bucks have struggled most against the Raptors is when Pascal Siakam has kind of exploded. And I think tonight he had another career high and it's, Again, I, I don't know if this would be for the long term in Toronto, but you know, at least for a little bit, are you stunting Siakam's growth a little bit by bringing someone in again who has been high usage in the past and who may want the basketball? And you know, you attempt to figure out what is our identity on the fly, and that may very well work, and it may very well, you know, kind of coalesce into a juggernaut that that might be what happens by adding Marcus salt, but also that might not be what happens, or maybe it doesn't happen until next year. And maybe you've kind of messed up everything you had going here. And it's the same thing with the Sixers. Like you add Tobias Harris in there. And like you said, it, those guys are more talented than Nikola Mirotic, but the Bucks identity hasn't changed. And at this point they've gone wire to wire with having the, I mean, again, not always by record, but 
pretty much by net rating, by point differential, from wire to wire, they've been the best team in the league. And by adding Miritich, they didn't sacrifice anything, which can't be said of the other teams in these deals. They they sacrificed actual players that were playing minutes, even if they were just small minutes. Like those other guys, you know, kind of gave up guys that were in rotations, and the Bucks didn't do that and added someone that that might be able to take it over the top. Doesn't affect their identity in any way. They're going to be able to play the exact same t- style of basketball that they've been playing for the entirety of this season and also get a talent upgrade at one of those spots. So um, I think it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. And, you know, I think for that reason, you have to think of the Bucks as major winners at the trade deadline. And I, I think if, if this trade doesn't happen, we're probably trying to convince ourselves that they're winners anyways because they have the best record in the league and they're very good. And, you know, maybe those other moves don't work, but the Bucks actually made a move to kind of keep up with the Joneses and uh, we'll see if, if it all works out and who ends up uh, in, in the finals in the end in the Eastern Conference. But it certainly got a lot more interesting and those semifinals are going to be a bloodbath in the Eastern Conference. Both, both, those, both those matchups are going to be a hell of a lot of fun and obviously that means the Eastern Conference finals are going to be a hell of a lot of fun as well. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm fascinated sort of how things shake out in Toronto because um, – you know, Serge Ibaka has started 42 of 51 games this year. Before this season, he had not come off the bench since 2011, but he's obviously been the starter generally. And so, I mean, do you bring him off the bench? Do you bring Siakam off the bench? I mean, I that would seem kind of crazy to me, given how well Siakam has played, that he would lose his starting spot. And you know, I certainly don't think of him as a small forward. So, um, or does Gasol come off the bench, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know how that impacts his willingness to pick up his player option um, for next year. But that's an interesting dynamic versus Miritich, who has actually come off the bench for the vast majority of his career, um, which is interesting. He's always been a guy who played, um, you know, a bit of minutes, um, but he started 92 out of 305 career games. This year, 22 out of 32 starts. Um, last year with New Orleans, he started 11 out of 30. So, I mean, he's used to this role. So it's not like, you know, he's a guy who comes in having been a 35-minute-per-game player, starting every game, and now... It's like, oh, you're only a you know 20 minute per game guy on this team. So I'm curious how many minutes he does get because um, obviously you know you give up this amount of assets, um, you you want to see the guy actually play. Um, but I'm sure they'll kind of take it slow, you know, with the injury and, and some of that coming back, and uh, it'll be interesting. Also, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, kind of just looking at it too. I mean, he's never played more than the 29 minutes per game he's averaged this year. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe his market won't be as strong. You know, maybe there is more of the perception that he's um, a super six man rather than a guy that you'd love to have as a starter, even though he's, like I said, I think he's very much overqualified for that role. Um, but, you know, it could be interesting. You know, I mean, he's a guy that uh, you know, maybe maybe there there are avenues to bring him back that um, that that I'm uh, that I'm under underestimating. But again, these are these are good problems to have to to have to figure out how you can bring back good players that are already on your team. So, um, you know, roll out the ball, let's see how things go. And um, you know, we're in the weird position now where uh, so much of what happens with the Bucks, I think, is you know, we got to wait for the playoffs and see how things go. And hopefully, things go very well. And um, even if that drives up demand for uh, for certain guys on your team, um, it also I think means that the you know the front office and ownership is going to be that much more interested in, in running it back with uh, with the team that obviously is gelled exceptionally well and um you know you just kind of hope to keep things rolling all right bucks in dallas on friday they have the magic at home on saturday but that is going to be it for us for today 
on this emergency pod that really wasn't recorded in any sort of emergency way, but that's totally fine. Happy that you guys joined it joined us for us and happy that you guys were all clamoring for us to record something in the middle of the day, which neither Frank or I could actually do. Um, so that's totally fine. It all works out. Hopefully you guys enjoy this and it's, you it's, enjoy maybe, the bucks. Maybe, maybe it's more of an urgent care pod, you know, not quite emergency room <laughs> level, but just sort of, the, you know, uh, urgent care, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit here and wait with, with some sick people for a few minutes. It's not that bad. Um, but, uh, Nikola Miritich definitely better than a trip to uh, to 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 the urgent care. I, w- I will happily say that. I would agree as well. So that is going to be it for us for today. For Frank Man, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.